chapter 9 is where we will be this evening. Matthew 9, and let's go down to verse number 35. Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 35. The Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the scriptures that we will look at. I pray, dear God, that you would just open our eyes. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be our teacher in these moments. I pray that you would be our convictor. Convict where there's got to be conviction. I pray that you would give um, comfort where there needs to be comfort and um, uh, just uh, keep, our, keep our adversary away and just uh, give us your presence. Fill me. Say everything through me that needs to be said for your honor and glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, how many of you have ever heard of an evangelist by the name of D.L. Moody? Would you raise your hand? D.L. Moody, you ever heard of him? All right, good. A lot of you have, yeah. D.L. Moody is, a, uh, is probably a, a famous name, especially in Christian circles here in the United States. Um, he was an evangelist, and, and uh, he was, uh, especially during the 1800s, was when kind of his heyday was going on. And D.L. Moody was a favorite preacher of, uh, we, they called him this. There were several evangelists, that, famous evangelists, that were traveling and doing great works um, uh, during that time. But D.L. Moody was described as the people's evangelist. And the reason for that was because he talked simply. He didn't get overcomplicated, you know. Uh, I, I like to keep things as simple as possible when I'm preaching. I, maybe I don't always do that, but that's my goal, is to try to be simple. And D.L. Moody was fantastic at keeping things simple. When he would come into town and he would uh, prepare a, a revival meeting, uh, an evangelistic services, I mean, he would sometimes rent out um, the circus tents and he would have better attendance at his preaching meetings than the circus would have when people would come to the circus. I mean, it was, it was a neat thing. People were getting saved all over the place. Um, Christians were getting right with God. D.L. Moody was powerfully used by the Lord. There was a man, uh, but, uh, I don't know the man's name, but a man came and uh, was interviewing D.L. Moody. And he asked D.L. Moody, why is it that people follow you and not others? What makes the difference? And D.L. Moody, instead of directly answering his question, D.L. Moody said, all right, stand up, come to the window, look out the window, and tell me what you see. Now, I don't know about you, but at this point, I'd be thinking, this is a trick question. I'm about to get it wrong, you know? And so, he, um, so, the, so the gentleman looks out the window, and he says, ah, I see a man in a suit. I see a wife with her, uh, a lady with her child, and I see some children playing, you know? Like, <laughs> I'm just going to go for as literal as possible. And so he, that's what he said. And you know what D.L. Moody said? He said, no, those are not people. Those are lost souls. So what was he saying was this, is that when D.L. Moody looked at humanity, when he looked at people, you know, he didn't just see, he didn't just see people, but he saw people 
who needed the Lord. You know, um, as we, uh, as you go through a life and you meet people, you know, oftentimes we look at them, we see them in their, uh, in their respects. You know, we see them as, well, that's the man who's, um, who's checking, who's, um, who's um, taking care of me at the, at, the grocery at the register in the grocery store. Oh, well, that's the person who's supplying me with this product that I need. Oh, well, this is the guy who's doing the repair on my whatever. Oh, this is the person who's going to fix my whatever. Oh, this is the lady who takes care of my children in this capacity. And a lot of times we just see people as just people, and we forget that people are more than that. That they are lost souls who need a savior and the bible says here in matthew chapter 9 matthew chapter 9 is a is a neat chapter if you like miracles matthew 9 is the chapter for you because in this chapter uh, we read about jesus healing the man who was um uh, who was paralyzed we read about uh, the woman who had that issue of blood for 12 years, Jesus healed her. We read about the ruler's daughter that was raised from the dead. Jesus raised her from the dead. We read about the two blind men that Jesus healed. We read about the man who had a demon uh, that made him mute. He couldn't speak, and Jesus cast out the devil. And by the time, um, as Matthew is recording these stories, because, you, know, um, you know, the disciple Matthew, he's watching this stuff. He's recording this stuff down. And as it comes to verse number 35, I like how then he just says, uh, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages, uh, and eventually he just gets to the bottom and says, he was just healing every sickness and every disease. In other words, people were flocking to Jesus, bringing sick people, bringing handicapped people, and, and just um, thronging Jesus. And you know what was neat? Was Jesus didn't mind. He didn't mind all these sick, handicapped Needed pe needy people coming for him to heal. But you know, it's interesting that Jesus said in verse number, it says in verse number 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Why? Well, verse 35 tells us that as Jesus was going about these cities, it says that he was teaching and he was preaching. You know why? Because, you know, Jesus did not mind healing people of their sicknesses. He didn't mind. But Jesus knew they had a deeper need. The need went far deeper than just, oh, can I heal them of some kind of an issue? You know, everyone who came for healing probably didn't, didn't depend upon him uh, as their savior from their sins. And can I tell you something, friend, uh, before we get kind of into everything that's here, folks, can I tell you something? Is that you, and tonight, maybe you have a physical need that you'd like someone to pray pray about for you. Maybe you've got a financial need that just really is wrecking your finances and it's really a, a bother to your mind. Maybe you've got family issues and there's just drama and stress that is just coming out of your ears. Listen, you know what Jesus says? You have a deeper need than all of that. You need Jesus to save you from your sins. If you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? Where would you spend eternity? Where would you spend eternity? And why? Because, you know, um, different people might give different answers. You might, say, uh, you, might, uh, you might say, well, you know, my church teaches such and such. You know something? Nobody really cares what a certain church teaches. What we want to know is what does the Bible say? Because, you know, when you, um, when you stand before God one day, it's not like he's going to, you come and you die and you stand before God. It's not like God's going to say, okay, what denomination were you? Okay, let me find out what, the, uh, what was the, uh, uh, the um, uh, way to get in from that denomination. Okay, here I got it. No, let me ask you some questions, okay? He's not, you, you won't 
you can't stand before God one day and say, oh, well, you know, I've just always been, you know, I've always been a, a Lutheran or a Baptist or a, or, a, or a Catholic or we're in a, a Bible church even. You could say, you could say all those things. Guess what? Those things don't take anybody to heaven. A denomination never saved a person from a single sin. You know who's, what saves from sins? The blood of Jesus does. Say, Matt, how do you know? Because the Bible says so. The Bible says in Colossians 1.14, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. His blood is the only payment that is sufficient to pay the awful price of our sins. The blood of Jesus Christ. Our good works can't do it. Our baptism can't do it. Communion can't do it. Sacraments can't do it. Confirmation can't do it. Church attendance, church membership can't do it. Those things cannot save a person from their sins. The Bible says that the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross, that is the only thing that can pay for your sins because, um, you know, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. And since the only thing that will pay for your sins is death, that's why you can't use good works and baptisms and, and sacraments and communion and all that. You can't use those things to pay for sins because none of those is death. The only thing that'll pay for death, uh, the only thing that'll pay for sin is death. And you got, can we put it this way? You got two options. One, you could die for eternity in a real place the Bible calls hell to pay for your sins or you could accept Jesus' death on the cross as the all-sufficient payment for your sins. For he, as fully God, yet fully man, able to represent humanity on the cross, he paid the price that God, the price of the wrath of God, when Jesus died on the cross, that wrath of God was poured out on Jesus as he suffered and paid for your sins and my sins. I'm going to tell you what, that was the message that Jesus wanted to get out. That he could save from sins and that the people needed to repent. They needed to turn from their sins and trust Jesus to be their savior. Has there ever been a time in your life when you put your trust on Jesus Christ alone to save you from your sins? I hope you can say there's been a time because that's what Jesus wants for you above all else. If there's never been a time, then tonight's a great night to do that because we don't know if we have tomorrow. But um, so Jesus was traveling all throughout this area. He's doing miracles, but he saw them as having much deeper needs than just simply needing miracle healings. It says in verse number 36, it says, when he saw the multitudes. You know what a multitude is? Multitude is a crowd. How many of you hate crowds? Raise your hand. How many of you just uh, don't like crowds? Yeah, okay. Some people just uh, don't do well in them. They just, ah, oh, sometimes, some people it really makes them panic and they really want to just get out and get alone and just be away from a crowd. You know, when Jesus looked on crowds and looked on masses of humanity who were flocking to him uh, to come to get healings and some of them to hear him teach, the Bible says when he saw the crowds, verse 36 says, he was moved with compassion on them. You know, when Jesus saw humanity, when Jesus saw strangers, crowds, you know what he felt towards them? He felt, the Bible word here is compassion. You know what the word means? It's a word that means pity. You ever taken pity on something that was helpless? Um, have you ever been, uh, have you ever been like me, you know, just trying to watch your TV show? And you're watching your TV show. Of course, you know, oh, it's exciting. Then, you know, hey, we got to do commercials. And uh, then that commercial comes on. 
And as the commercial comes on, there's some teeny tiny little dog. I use that very loosely because it doesn't really look like a dog. There's some teeny tiny little dog, and it's like shaking in place. And they start playing that in the arms of the angels song. They start playing that song, and then there's this voice that comes over the uh, comes over the background and says, and "It says this dog is suffering, and it is going to die." And they're like, "And if you don't do something about this, this dog is going to die, and it's going to be your fault." <laughs> you know, that's that's all. But what have you seen those commercials? Raise your hand if you've seen that commercial before. Yeah, and they make it look like it's going to be your fault if this dog dies. Me, I'm a I'm a deep thinker, and I'm I'm over here thinking. Brother, if that dog dies, it's not my fault. It's the cameraman's fault. That guy ought to turn off his camera and give the dog a sandwich or something, you know? I mean, I mean, you, you want to have pity? Why don't you tell the cameraman to have a little bit of pity? What are y'all doing? Like, oh, we want money for our organization. Film that suffering dog, you know? Um, but what are they doing? They're, they're taking this suffering animal, and they're using it. When they put it on the screen, then they put that song behind it. And what's the idea? What do they want from you? They want you, they want your innermost gut to feel twisted with pity of saying oh that poor dog <sighs> honey we got to do something you know and so of course they say well I'll send in $22 a month you know <laughs> so you start paying maybe maybe you pay that $22 a month or whatever uh, your choice but um, so maybe you do that you know what's also you know I don't know if you've ever seen this and I've had this have you ever had a time when right after that commercial I've noticed that I've seen this before is that right after that commercial comes a commercial for St. Jude's Hospital you ever seen that yeah, sometimes it's right after it and, uh, and then I want you want to talk about heartstrings really being pulled for me that's when the heartstrings get pulled and I watch and I see these children who are you know who are hooked up to all kinds of machines kids who have lost all their hair kids who don't know if they have hope and here they are at St. Jude's Hospital and uh, started, of course, by actor Danny Thomas. And he has this thing where the kids don't have to pay a dollar. And they're getting world-famous help for the diseases. And I see them suffering because, I don't know if you know this, but my son, when he was six days old, he had a heart problem when he was born. And we didn't catch it. Or, well, I should say the doctors didn't catch it. We didn't know about it. And so our, our um, first son, Samuel, he almost died on Thanksgiving night. Uh, in, 2000, in 2018 we almost lost him he had to go to a children's hospital spend two weeks there get heart surgery and we there was a there was a full day where we truly did not know if he would be alive or dead it was a it was a very bad day it was a rough then several days and then he began to improve and and we thank the lord he's with us so i'll tell you what when i see a child when, when i see a child hooked up to machines and tubes running into them or i see a child suffering like that can i tell you something that is what that is what pulls at my pity. That is what grabs at my pity when I see a child suffering like that. You know that feeling of pity that you get when you watch a child on St. Jude's Hospital suffering? That's the word compassion. And when Jesus looked at crowds, he didn't see them as useless, pointless people who are in my way. He saw them as what well verse 36 says jesus because he felt pity towards them uh, he saw them as fainted and scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd what's going to happen to a sheep that has no shepherd real simple it's going to die it's going to die 
Uh, who knows how? Maybe it'll, maybe it'll injure itself and just die by starvation or dehydration. Maybe it'll get attacked by a predator. Maybe it'll get stolen and it'll uh, end up on someone's lunch. I don't know. But if a sheep does not have its shepherd, it'll die. And when Jesus looked at the crowds, he saw there are people, there are so many people who don't know the Lord and they don't have Jesus as their Savior and they're like sheep that have no shepherd. And Jesus took pity upon them. And so the Bible says, and I want you to see this too tonight, as Jesus goes into the last couple verses of chapter 9, verse 37 and verse 38, Jesus looked at the unsaved world that was around him, which also we have around us today, and uh, he brought out some truths that I want, I want us, if we can, I want us to look at these truths here this, this evening about, could I put it this way, the hope that we have that people could, that people can still get saved. Do you ever, um, do you ever look around and you look at humanity and you think, help us Lord come back? You know, you just look and say, wow, are we really that, have we stooped that low? <laughs> Lord, come on back. Hey, listen, can I tell you something? The rapture and the return, the return of Jesus Christ is not something we use as an ounce so that we can have the blessedness, the, the peace that we want. That is not the way to treat the rapture. Rather, what it should be doing is making us say, oh my goodness, it might be today, so I better tell someone else about Jesus. That ought to be what it ought to do for us. And, um, and so, but when we look around our world, a lot of times we don't have a whole lot of hope for humanity. We look and we think, oh my goodness. I mean, just people are just, they're just uh, in their sin. And people, it just seems like they don't care much about God anymore. And, and, and we get into this defeatist, um, fatalist mentality that God never intended us to be. And we just hang around with our Christian buddies and say, well, bless God, they're just all going to hell in a handbasket, aren't they? And we get this mentality. Can I tell you something? Jesus has, uh, wants us to know there is hope that people can still be saved. How so? Well, I want you to see three things here tonight. Number one is I want you to see the opportunity of the harvest. The opportunity of the harvest, okay? Verse number 37 and verse number 38, there is a word that's used three different times in there, and it's the word harvest. Now, plenty of you here, you, you've had um, either you've been a, been a farmer or you've been, maybe one of your first jobs was helping out on a farm somewhere, and so you've probably had plenty of experience. I don't need to explain anything about farming to you. Um, the, um, but the idea here simply is, he says that there is a harvest, and he talks about uh, the harvest, truly is plenteous. Well, what is this? Well, there's a couple things here it's important to distinguish. When you take the word harvest, okay, um, uh, you could, that word harvest, so it can refer to a time period, right? Sometimes when um, people say, oh, well, it's almost harvest time. We know what they're talking about. We're talking about the fall, autumn. We're talking about when the crops are ready to come in. But I don't think that's what's in play here because it says um, the harvest truly is plenteous. And really, honestly, the time period that you have to bring in your crops is actually not that big. So what is it talking about here when it says the harvest is plenteous? You know, the word harvest could refer to a time period or it could refer to the actual crop. Right? You know, uh, you, um, you get your, uh, you know, you do your, um, your reaping and you say, well, I got my harvest in. Or I got this much of my harvest in. And we're talking about the actual reaped product. Do you know what harvest is? Can I put it this way? 
You know, of course, what Jesus is using here is he's using the analogy of farming and the metaphor of the harvest to refer to, uh, to, refer to us going out and seeing people get saved. You've probably heard this metaphor before about uh, sowing and reaping, how we, we sow the seeds of the gospel and we tell people how to get saved. And Sometimes we come along, we water, and, uh, we water the, the seed that someone has already planted in someone else's mind and heart and we tell them a little bit more about the Lord and then one day someone gets to harvest, someone gets to actually see them receive Jesus as their Savior. But you know, if, if we can be honest, we get in this fatalist, defeatist mentality that says, well, there aren't really many people who are ready to get saved and want to get saved anymore. Do you know what Jesus says about the harvest? By the way, harvest, you realize what harvest is? Harvest is product that is ready to be reaped. Right? You know what Jesus says? There are people out there who are ready to get saved. And you know what he says about them? There's a lot of them. Now, when you look around, you'd say, I don't think there's a whole lot. Well, Jesus says the harvest is plenteous. You say, well, I don't see it. Well, guess what we're going to do? We're going to go with Jesus over you on this one, okay? If you don't mind, we're going with Jesus over our experience. Because we oftentimes, we listen to our experience over what God says. And Jesus says, as he looks out on these unsaved people who don't know the Lord, he says the harvest truly is plenteous. In other words, he says there are a bunch of people who are ready to get saved. Um, he says in, uh, in verse 37, the harvest truly is plenteous. In Luke chapter 10, verse number 2, Jesus says the harvest truly is great. Uh, if you have... Um, fast fingers, you can turn over to the book of John chapter 4 and verse uh, chapter 4. And what was happening in John 4 is this is Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. Remember that woman? Unsaved woman comes to a well and Jesus begins to introduce her to who he is, that he can be her savior. And so she realizes that this is the promised Messiah. And this woman, she leaves Jesus at the well and she rushes back into her hometown. And as she's rushing back to her hometown, I imagine that when the disciples were coming back, they'd gone grocery shopping or stopped at, gotten takeout at a restaurant. I assume as they were coming back with the food, that they probably even passed this woman coming back. Maybe. And so the disciples come to Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, we got lunch. You know, here's some food. Well, this, this one's yours. Why don't, you, why don't you eat, Jesus? Why don't you want to eat? And Jesus, I think, is just disturbed by his disciples and just their lack of vision for the unsaved people in this area. And he says, I have, I have food to eat that you don't even know about. <laughs> the disciples are like, someone else bring him lunch? Like, I thought we were getting him lunch. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Metaphor, guys. Metaphor. The idea here is, is that there's a lot more to life than just eating food. It's a lot more. He says there's something more important, and the thing that's more important is the unsaved souls. And in John chapter 4, verse number 35, Jesus says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. So he says, you, you know, that was a phrase that they would use a lot. They'd say, because uh, four months was kind of a, it was a generic term for the time period between uh, harvest and between, uh, between planting and harvest back then. It was a generic, uh, a general term. It was a specific amount, uh, you know, and depending on what your product is, might determine how long it is. But it kind of was a term that, you know, when people would plant, they would say, well, now we got four months, now we got to wait. And gee, what Jesus was saying here is, you know, you like to say, oh, there's yet four months and then cometh harvest. Jesus says, hey, that might be so in farming, but Jesus says, people, 
the harvest is already happening. The harvest is here, and it's in front of our eyes. And so he says in verse number 35, he says, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, because they are white already to harvest. You know, some Bible scholars believe that when Jesus made this statement, that the woman may have been already coming back with her friends and her unsaved neighbors who needed to hear about the Lord. And some, a lot of Bible scholars think that Jesus may have stood up in the midst of his disciples and pointed down the road at that woman who's coming, bringing all these unsaved people with her, saying, come on, come on, you got to meet God. you gotta, you got to meet the Messiah. And he looked, pointed at them and said, the, and pointed and said, lift up your eyes, look on the fields. They're white already to harvest. Because who would have known that over the next two days, Jesus and his disciples would be staying in Samaria and a bunch of Samaritans were going to get saved. You know, if we had looked at that crowd of Samaritans, we probably would have said the same thing the disciples said. Uh, I don't know if they really want to get saved. They don't look like it. At least not in my experience. Those aren't the people who want to get saved. No, I, don't think so. I think we just move on. Whereas Jesus says, um, you know, if we would just open our mouths, you would be amazed at how much harvest there is around us. And how many people are ready to be saved, but there's no one to tell them. You know, sometimes we say, well, I don't think there's a lot of people who are ready to get saved. Oftentimes the people who say that are the people who never open their mouths and witness. And then they say, I don't think anyone's getting saved. Well, just because you don't tell the gospel doesn't mean that there aren't people who are and aren't seeing people get saved. Folks, uh, Jesus said the harvest truly is plenteous. In the book of um, Romans chapter 10, verse 14, it says, How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they going to believe on him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? In other words, someone has to tell them. And even though our experience screams otherwise, folks, we can't listen to our experience. Let's listen to what Jesus says about the crowds. He says, in the midst of crowds, he says, there's actually a lot more people ready to get saved than you might want to admit. That's the opportunity of the harvest. Don't look around you saying, well, we're just, uh, we're just got no hope. We just got to hang in there till Jesus comes. No, 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 no. No, there's a great opportunity. You say, well, you don't know, you don't know this area of the country. Folks, they say that everywhere. Okay? They say that everywhere. According to Jesus, the harvest is plenteous. People are ready to get saved. So that's the opportunity of the harvest. So then here's number two. What's our obligation to the harvest? What are we obligated to do? So knowing this, this truth, that there are people, a lot of people around us who are ready to get saved, what's our obligation? Well, we got a couple. One is to have compassion like Jesus. Is to have pity and to love other people. Jesus said, uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, um, verse number 36, he said he was moved with compassion when he saw the multitudes. In other words, Jesus loved people in spite of themselves. You know, um, you know what, can I, you know one reason why we don't, we don't care much to witness? For some people, it's just because you don't love Now, if you inside would say, that's right, I don't, love, I don't like people. Can I tell you something? That's not necessarily a good thing. 
You know why? Because that mentality is going to keep you from sharing the gospel. It will. Hey, I get it. People are not always fun. You know, we often see people as annoyances, don't we? You know, you're just uh, you're in Walmart, just trying to you're just trying to get you're know, just trying to get down an aisle. There's like there's these people that are there in the way. They see you coming, and they assume that this means stay right in the middle and never move. Have you ever seen someone like that in the middle of Walmart? Like you are walking this way, and they assume I should probably stay right here and never move and block the whole thing. You know, you're like. Where are the brains? Where are the brains? You know, where are they? Hey, you know, because we see people as annoyances instead of loving them, saying, This person needs Jesus. That's why we don't really care to witness very much. Don't we often? We see people as, as annoyances, as jerks, as idiots, as, as frust- just frustrations. You know, you ever been, <laughs> you ever been on the road and you get behind someone? who clearly, you've got to get to work, and they clearly have nowhere to be between now and Christmas. You know, you know what I'm talking about? And you're just uh, like, oh, i got to go, got to go, got to go, got to go. Move. Like, can I come up and push your car? We'll go faster. I might as well just put it in park and run the rest of the way, you know? Because you're just frustrated. And, you know, I, I get it. I get frustrated with those things. But the problem is, you know what ends up happening? Is we end up just seeing humanity as a bunch of frustrating Things that are in the way when Jesus says, hey church, you're supposed to have compassion and pity on them because they're like sheep that have no shepherd. They're going to die if no one tells them about Jesus. We need to have compassion. Don't see people as annoyances. Do we not often see people as opponents in politics? Amen. (laughs) We do. You know why? Because that's just reality. We do. You know, um, I remember a, uh, there's an evangelist friend of mine, and he does a lot of stuff in Washington, D.C., and gets to be involved. He's prayed with senators and, and congressmen and, uh, and, and uh, just done a lot of neat things, been involved in a lot of cool things in, in um, Washington, D.C. And you know what he said to me? Uh, he said to a group of preachers once, he said, I have been in Nancy Pelosi's office. If you know this evangelist, you would know this. Him and Nancy Pelosi's morals are complete opposites. They're very opposite. And you know something? Is that he said, I got invited into her office. You know what he said? I came in and I spoke with her. I gave her a Bible. I gave her the gospel. And I prayed with her. She didn't pray to get saved. He just said, and I prayed over her that she would make right decisions. You know what's the most some of you would do? Is put some kind of a, a meme together and send it to somebody else with her in it. And you know, I get it. But listen, the problem is we see people as just opponents in politics. And you know what uh, this evangelist saw? She needs God. And she, you know what's hard to remember? God died for her, just like you. You know why? Because you and her are both sinners. You, me, and her are all sinners. And we're all guilty before God if we don't repent of our sin. We're, and, 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 and the gospel is for her too. And God died for her too. And we forget so often, uh, we forget so often these things. And we see people as annoyances. So we are, we are obligated to have compassion. Do you love people? 
Some of you could care less about people. We've got to love people. And then we're obligated not only to, um, uh, not only to have compassion, but we're obligated to pray. He says in verse number 38, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. Now let me just say this. This verse, and, and for good reason, is often used in missions conferences because it should be, okay? Um, and uh, it's a great verse for talking about praying that God will send more laborers into the harvest. You know what's sad, though? The one part that's sad is that we usually use this verse to say, God, send more missionaries. Send more laborers out into the fields where I cannot go. Whereas we could also be praying this and saying, Lord, would you please send me as your laborer into the harvest that's around here? But we don't do that. Have you ever tried, ever thought about praying, Lord, before this week is out, would you send me to harvest? Why not pray that? Why not say, Lord, look, I don't mind sowing the seed if I just got to put out some more tracks. I don't mind watering the seed if I just got to kind of talk to someone else about the Lord. But Lord, I would love to lead someone to the Lord and see someone get saved. You know something? Jesus says the harvest is plenty and there's a lot of people ready to get saved. You may not realize it, but Jesus says there is. Why not pray and say, Lord, send me into the harvest? Right here, Norfolk, Nebraska. We're obligated to pray. And you know, we're also obligated to labor. He says, pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest field. Folks, we are obligated to to, I don't know how else to put it, to make the effort. You know, a lot of times, you know, when it comes to telling people about the Lord, giving out tracts, you know, inviting people over to tell them how to get saved, inviting people to church, oftentimes we say, well, you know, I, I just kind of feel like that's the pastor's job. You know why we say that? It's because we pay him. And we are so American that we assume because we pay him, he's supposed to do it so we don't have to. You know, we've had that mentality a long time. You know, we've had wars. Especially, I think, the Civil War, I think, was a big one, where you could pay other people to go for you. We figure, hey, you know, I got enough money. I, I don't want to do it, but I'll pay someone else to do it. That's us. Isn't it? And you know what? Um, we're obligated to labor. If you read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, you know what it says the, pa- the evangelist and the pastor teacher are there for? They're not there to do all the work of the ministry. The pastor teacher and the evangelist are there to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry in other words if the pastor really is basically the one who's doing all the ministry that's the church is not working right the church is very sick you say well i i don't maybe maybe you're hearing you say well i'm willing i just don't know how to serve god i'm no good at witnessing but i want to then you know what you ought to do by the end of the service is go up to pastor and say pastor miller he was talking about me i need to get more training i got it i got i need to tell more people about jesus but i need help because i'm no good at it listen your pastor can work with that okay you know what he can't work with well you know i just uh, i feel like he should do it well, you know, I, I, I got things going on. Like no one else does. Folks, we're obligated to labor. So there's the opportunity to harvest, our obligation to the harvest. And lastly, this will just be brief for a moment, is our ownership of the harvest. What keeps us from owning the harvest? What keeps us from, you ever thought about that? What keeps us from, you know, if, there's, if God says there's so many um, you know, people ready to get saved around us, why aren't we just like beating down the doors of just trying to get out and telling everyone we can? What makes us fail to own the harvest as our own? A couple things. One is um, because we have failed to deal with sin in our own lives. 
Some of you, Sunday night, God definitely pointed something out to you. And you said, no. You said, no. You said, you're going to keep your pride, your selfishness, your covetousness, your lust, your anger, whatever it may be. And you said, no, Lord, I'm going to do what I want to do. You know something? So long as you're going to displease God, you won't care about unsaved souls. You won't. That love for the lost will go away. So failure to deal with, uh, with sin will f- keep you from owning the harvest. You know, 1 Corinthians 15 says, Awake to righteousness, sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. So it could be failure to deal with sin. Uh, another thing that keeps us from owning the harvest is just a simple unfaithfulness to, to open our mouths. Maybe you're right with God and everything you know that you should be, but if you're like me, just don't open your mouth sometimes. You know, Romans 10 says, how are they going to call on him of whom they've never heard? And that's not deep, folks. How are they ever going to, how are they going to believe on him that they've never heard of? And how are they going to hear if someone doesn't tell them? That's what Romans 10, 14 says. Thus, that is why God has left us here on this earth to be faithful to open our mouths. But the last thing, uh, what keeps us from owning the harvest is just unbelief. Unbelief that we say, well, I know that God has said that the harvest is plenteous. Even though he said that, I don't think so. That's called unbelief. A lot of times, because we dwell in unbelief, you know, who would want, who would want to go witness? Who would want to go witness if you're, um, you know, if, if it's just guaranteed, well, nothing's ever going to, ever going to, ever going to happen? Who would want to tell someone about the Lord if you knew, you know, no one's going to ever listen ever for your entire lifetime? Well, that would be discouraging. But Jesus says, no, if you would actually pray and have compassion on people, you might actually surprise yourself and everyone around you with the people you'll find who are ready to get saved. So here's, um, here's something I want, to, I want to kind of present to you here as we close. For one thing, or well, maybe, maybe two things. One, can I urge you again? invite someone to family night listen if you invite and they don't come that's god's business so don't be frustrated and don't be upset okay you did what you're supposed to do you were faithful don't be upset leave those matters with god and you invite someone the next time a gospel opportunity comes around community bible church because it'll come around again okay but um some of you just have no plans some of you, maybe you just don't know unsaved people. Can I encourage you to do something? Anybody, anybody, live, in a, anybody live in a house or an apartment or a trailer or anything like that? You know what's probably right around you? These things called neighbors. Now, some of you are like, oh, I live out in 2,000 acres and I don't have to. Yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. And listen, we got to interact with people sometimes, some way. What I'm trying to say is this. Let's invite. And I'm not saying that's so I can get big numbers on Thursday night. What I'd like to see is I'd like to see someone born again on Thursday night. Wouldn't you? You know what is one of the coolest things? I, hey, listen, uh, I remember in revival meetings when, when I would invite people from my work when I worked at the grocery store, and they'd walk in the back door. I was like, oh, this is cool. Sit by me, you know, because this is my friend. I remember once looking back, like, oh, they're late, but who cares? You know, there's a whole row of, um, you know, uh, I invited these two people, and they brought their kids, and I'm like, oh, this is so cool. They're hearing the gospel. I remember times when they, uh, some of them would get really close to getting saved. It's a really neat thing. So I would encourage you, one, would you invite someone Thursday night? Can I encourage you to do this? Number two, I'm going to encourage you to do this. 
I would urge you, church member, to make a promise, a commitment to God tonight that says, somewhere, sometime, let's not be, let's not be ridiculous, but let's say somewhere in the next two weeks, God, if you will help me, I will find somebody and in some measure, I will tell them something about the Lord. Listen, I did not say, how many of you are going to commit that for the rest of the year you're going to win one soul to the Lord every week? Hey, that is not a good thing to commit because saving people is God's business, not ours. But I'll tell you what God has left us with is he said, you are the light. You're the light that I've left. And if you're not going to do it, God didn't make a plan B. He left you. And God said, I'd prefer to use you. I'm going to ask you to consider that. Will you tonight, no matter your age, no matter your station, would you consider giving someone the gospel within the next two weeks? You might say, well, I, I can't get out. Can I tell you something? Oh, this was good. I remember one church, a pastor said, he said, I have a bunch of seniors, like something like 15 seniors. They can't get out and knock on doors. He said, well, we'd have a gathering and some of us go out and knock on doors. And he said, there was this group of seniors. They would gather, you know, you see all of them around the table and they would write handwritten letters to people in the community and they invite them to church. They'd introduce themselves, invite them to church and tell them how to get saved. They'd put a church brochure and a track inside that envelope. They'd mail them out. I bet you in an hour, hour and a half, about 15, 15 of these senior adults probably got two done in an hour every week. You know what that means? Every week, this church was sending out 30 letters to 30 homes before the year's out. You take 30 times 50, that's 1,500 homes that got the gospel. You know what we're good at? We're good at excuses. Instead of saying, let me think out of the box how God could use me. Folks, I don't know what it may look like, but I'd urge you to consider committing to the Lord and I remember when the first time an evangelist asked me to do that, and I don't actually ask this very often at churches for people to commit to this, but I remember when I was a teenager and an evangelist asked us teen, uh, at a youth rally to commit to this, and I, and I remember being a teenager thinking, oh, I don't know much, but this is the right thing to do because I don't tell anybody about the Lord. And I committed, I said I would, and you know, it went, uh, then I immediately God brought someone to mind. There's a guy in my... Um, in our youth group, his name was Corey, and Corey was not saved, and I knew Corey needed to be saved, and I said to my youth pastor on Wednesday night, I said, look, you know that youth, youth thing, and I committed that I'd witness, would it be okay if like during youth group, that I could just take him out, I just want to tell him the gospel, I committed this to the Lord, I just want to do that. He said, sure, you can do that. So I took Corey out, we sat on these back stairs, people, it was really weird, about 20 minutes in, he got saved. I'm sitting there like, oh, what just happened? It's the first person I'd ever gotten to lead to the Lord. And, I, and listen, I was not fancy, and I probably messed up some stuff. Listen, you obey the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit can overcome every one of your awkwardnesses, of your fears, all of that. The God is able to overcome all of that. What he needs is someone willing to open their mouths. Will you do so? Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes. Appreciate you. We're going to wrap this up. We're going to be out by 815, folks, okay? I got, I got about five minutes, okay? Would you tonight, here's the question, question one. How many of you, now listen, you don't have to do it just for me. You know, don't do it for me, okay? How many of you tonight would say, Matt, 
with God's help.